welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 1, New King James Version. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're glad that you're able to join us here today on Anchored by Truth. For several episodes now, We've been working on a series we call Eternal Information. We've covered a lot of ground so far in this series. If you have missed some of the earlier episodes, we encourage you to go to our website, crystalseabooks.com, where they're all available. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. This has been a fascinating series because in it we have talked about yet another way where we can be assured that God is creator of everything in the universe. Today in the studio, we have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., we have spent a lot of time in this series discussing information because the existence of information, any information at all, pretty much assures us that the God of the Bible must exist. Do I have that right? Absolutely. But before we get too much farther into our discussion, I'd also like to say hi to everyone and welcome them to Anchored by Truth. You know, at Anchored by Truth, we have one central focus, one central passion, and that's to help people discover or rediscover a basic truth. The Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. But we can't be assured that the Bible is the Word of God unless we first have assured ourselves that God Himself exists. I mean, you can't very well believe in the Bible without first believing in God. And as most Christians know, there is a branch of study called apologetics that focuses on demonstrating that God does in fact exist. So in that sense, we might think of the study of information as a new apologetic approach. Studying information can complement other more widely known apologetic approaches, such as the cosmological approach and the theological approach. The cosmological approach to apologetics reasons that we can be sure that God exists because He is, and must be, the ultimate cause for the effect that we call the universe. The theological approach reasons that since we can perceive design throughout nature, but especially in living creatures, that there must be a designer behind all that design. Design requires a designer. A created order requires a creator. In a similar way, all information requires the existence of intelligence. Information absent intelligence isn't information at all. It's just nonsense. Yes, and that's a great summary of why we started this series on information. I was prompted to dig into information as an area of study by Dr. Werner Gitt's book called In the Beginning Was Information. Now, the title of Dr. Gitt's book is an obvious play on the very first verse of the Bible, 
And the book itself, In the Beginning Was Information, leads us to the very same point that Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 makes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's the most succinct way of stating the cosmological approach to apologetics that I think is possible. If we believe in God, we don't have to wonder where the heavens and earth come from. But if we don't believe in God, then we have to try to fashion some other explanation for everything that we see around us. And of course, people being sinful have tried to fashion alternatives. It's just those alternatives always wind up leaving the doubter with more questions than answers. God has fashioned His creation, His universe, in such a way that you can't avoid noticing His work and His fingerprints. And that's a great introduction to the subject that I want to tackle today, doubt. There are obviously many in our culture, in our country, around the world, who doubt the existence of God. Now, some are militant about it. They write books about it. They create all kinds of theories about their doubts about God. And some of them have even gathered very large followings with their doubt. Now, others who doubt the existence of God, they're more subtle or quiet about their doubts. They just harbor them for themselves. And unfortunately, doubts about God are not uncommon, even among Christians. But what I want to show everyone today is that while doubts about the Bible or God are common, they are not informative. They are not necessary. It is possible for us to develop such a deep understanding and awareness of God and His Word that the doubts that people might possess will vanish like the fog in front of a rising sun. I'm not sure if that's good news or bad news. I think most people probably begin their Christian journey with some level of doubt. And I suspect that there are many who have been Christians for years or decades who still have doubts. Maybe not doubts about the existence of God per se, but certainly doubts about parts of the Christian faith. You're absolutely right about doubts being pervasive, even among people who self-identify as Christian. Doubts are not uncommon, but I'm going to repeat myself. Even though doubts are common, they're not necessary. And it is possible to have the kind of Christian faith that does not doubt that God exists, or that the Bible is His Word, or that God will never leave them or forsake them. Now, this is a subject that I've been thinking about for a while, but it fits in pretty nicely with the themes that we have been talking about in this Eternal Information series. We've talked a lot in this series about the fact that information is an essential component of our universe. Because even if someone wanted to claim that our universe does not contain information, they would be trying to communicate information to make their denial. Yep. And information, as distinguished from matter and energy, is non-material. Information can be transmitted, received, or stored by matter and energy, but the matter and energy do not affect the content of the information. You can use the same note card to write a recipe for apple pie, or the instructions to build a submarine, or describe your feelings for a person you just met. The chemical composition of the pen and note card don't control what goes on the card. Right. Matter and energy may enable us to pass and receive information, but they don't create the information. So information is non-material, but it also always reflects intelligence. For information to exist then, somewhere there must be a non-material source of intelligence. 
Otherwise, we're left with the proposition that information pops into existence like magic dust in a fairy tale. Magic dust in a fairy tale. Really? You know, we are so used to using information that we forget that everything we see or know about must have a point of origin. And as Dr. Jonathan Sarfati pointed out when he was with us here on Anchored by Truth, explaining the operation of a thing is quite different from explaining its origin. And that's one of the weaknesses of our contemporary culture. In our culture today, we no longer build coherent worldviews, the kind of coherent worldviews that people once took for granted. And as a consequence, we have begun to embrace blatant contradictions that people once would have rejected out of hand. I mean, never before in human history has there been a society that accepted the notion that men could turn into women or women could turn into men. Our culture seems to have a lot in common with the society to which Isaiah preached. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, God had Isaiah say, quote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, unquote. Isaiah said that there were people in his country who had turned values on their head. They had gone beyond simple tolerance to trying to reclassify the difference between good and evil behavior. Of course, that's always a futile effort. Just look what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve tried to substitute their judgment for God's. Exactly. And it's important to remember that all of the mischief in the garden and a very great deal of the subsequent mischief in humanity since then began with doubt. You know, you rarely think about that. But the very first thing that Satan did when tempting Eve was to introduce doubt into her mind. Satan didn't start out with a direct temptation, but he started out by trying to get Eve to doubt God's goodness. In Genesis chapter 3, the latter half of verse 1 records that Satan said to Eve, quote, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Unquote? Satan's question was intended to sound almost innocent, as if he were seeking clarification. But Satan's intent was clear. As various translations put it, Satan was subtle or crafty. Satan knew if he started out just contradicting God, Eve might push back. So, he started with an indirect approach. He started by creating doubt. And we see the fruit of that same phenomenon going on around us today. A lot of people don't realize that when Charles Darwin released the first versions of his most famous work on the origin of species, that in the first two versions that Darwin released, he made a reference that almost sounds biblical. In the first version of Origin, Darwin wrote in his conclusion, quote, I should infer from analogy that probably all the organic beings which have ever lived on this earth have descended from some one primordial form into which life was first breathed, unquote. And in the second edition, Darren added, quote, by the Creator, unquote, to the end of the sentence. Right. Now, many commentators aren't sure whether Darwin actually believed in some form of supernatural creator or whether his inclusion of that reference was just a public relations maneuver designed to avoid alienating the public even further from the views that he knew would be controversial. We're not really sure what Darwin's motivation was for including that in his book, because Darwin really never made his exact views on that subject public. But the point is this. 
the early versions of that book, and that's the book that set off the widespread embrace of evolution, did not start out by directly attempting to refute the book of Genesis. I mean, it can't because Genesis is true. But it really didn't even start out trying to refute the book of Genesis. Darwin's first versions of his book just introduced doubt as to whether Genesis needed to be accepted as history. And that was the thin edge of the wedge that is turned into the evolutionary Grand Canyon. Today, evolution is taught in virtually every class around the world on biology, geology, paleontology, whatever. So just like in the Garden of Eden, just a little bit of initial doubt has led into an arc's worth of mischief. But this series that we're doing today is primarily about information. So primarily what I want to do today is to point out something that we rarely think about. Which is? That doubt is not evidence. And doubt is only useful information insofar as it gives us insight into the mind of the doubter. I think we're going to need some more information on what you're getting to. Well, today we started out talking about the fact that doubts are not informative. In other words, doubts don't provide any new or additional information unless we're just talking about the doubter themselves. For instance, if someone tells us that they have doubts about God's existence, that tells us what that person thinks, but it does not tell us anything about whether God actually exists. Doubts are doubts, but that's all they are. So what you're saying is that doubts don't impart any real information about the subject that is really at issue. If someone goes to the doctor and tells the doctor they're having stomach pains and they think they have cancer, the doctor may respond, quote, I doubt that, unquote. But that really doesn't give the patient any new information other than the doctor's thinking at that moment. But if the doctor says, we've done blood work, various scans or procedures, and comprehensively reviewed your symptoms, and there's no sign of cancer, now the patient has new information. The doctor's doubt may be of some comfort to the patient, but it has little to no informative value. But the results of the blood work and scans does give the patient information that they can act upon. Exactly. Doubts are minimally informative and they are never evidence that pertains to the substance of the issue. And yet in our society, and even within the church, we treat doubts as if the existence of the doubt actually had a bearing on the issue or the fact. And that's all I want to draw people's attention to today. As a church, we have to quit treating doubt, our own or others, as if the existence of the doubt gives us a reason to question our faith. Which we do all the time. If we go to a room and someone says, I doubt whether chapter 1 of Genesis is literal history, all of a sudden people in the room start wondering about Genesis. And their questions about the truth of Genesis will be magnified as others in the room also express the same doubts. Pretty soon people may become convinced that somehow chapter 1 of Genesis is questionable even if no one has given a single actual fact that would call the Genesis account into question. I think I see what you want us to focus on. We have a tendency in our culture to treat doubt, especially doubts about God or the Bible, as if they actually meant something, but they don't. My point is that doubt is meaningful to the doubter, but there is no particular reason it should be meaningful to anyone else. Someone else's doubts do not, or at least they should not, have any impact on our own beliefs or our own faith. But all too often they do. 
The doubts are theirs, but the fact that they have that doubt, that doesn't change. It's still just doubt. So that doubt should not have any impact on our own beliefs or faith, even when the doubts are dressed up in elegant language, or when they're supposedly expressed by authority figures like college professors. We should never let the doubts of others color our own thinking, except in one regard. What's that? Doubt is okay, as long as what the doubt does is serve as a launching point for our own investigation of the truth. So, if someone expresses doubt about the historicity of chapter 1 of Genesis, and that prompts us to begin an exploration of the science and facts that can shed light on the question, that's not a bad thing. Someone might tell us that chapter 1 of Genesis was never intended to be interpreted as history, only as poetic expression of God's creative attributes. So, we can then do research into the form of literature contained in Genesis 1, what various scholars have written about that chapter, or how biblical figures, especially Jesus, view chapter 1. All of that research can yield actual information that can help us make an informed judgment for ourselves about the historicity of chapter 1. But far too often, we don't do that. We simply receive the doubt and begin to let it color our own views. Right. And that's why I wanted to include this discussion about doubt in our series on information. We have talked extensively in this series about the fact that information has to do with the transmission of content for an intended purpose. Doubts alone are essentially devoid of content. Again, for anything other than what they tell us about the doubter. So if someone says, I doubt that God exists because of thus and so, well, we can address the thus and so. We can address the substance of what seems to be causing or creating the doubt. We can address the facts or even the feelings about what is causing the doubt. But if someone just tells us that they doubt whether God exists and they don't provide any further explanation for why they have doubts, Well, there's not much we can do with that. Their doubts tell them and us that they have some uncertainty. They may have uncertainty about God, the Bible, and that's fine insofar as it means the uncertainty is present in their lives, so we know something about them. But their doubt or their uncertainty does not need to affect us. Now, of course, we are concerned about the uncertainties that people have about God and the Bible, And we want to help people overcome those uncertainties. But their uncertainty does not, should not give us any reason to adopt their own uncertainty into our belief or our faith. We can address reasons that people may feel uncertain, but all too often Christians treat the uncertainty, the doubt of others, as if the doubt possessed meaning, as if it had informational content. But it doesn't. So the point we are trying to make in this episode is too often you will hear a Christian say something like, I didn't question my faith until I went to college and found out other students had begun to question theirs. There are legitimate questions about faith and the Bible that may arise, and we need, as faithful followers of Christ, to be able and prepared to address them. But the doubts or questions others have are just that, doubts and questions. We need to avoid the temptation to turn their leaden doubts into some kind of philosophical gold idol to which we must then pay homage. Sadly, though, you see that happen continuously in our society and even in the church. Quote, I didn't doubt until my friends did, unquote, 
is all too often a common refrain. And as you have said, Satan manufactured the fall out of the seed of doubt. Doubt is not informative except about the state of mind of the doubter. And what is true of the doubt of an individual does not make it more true for the doubt of many individuals. So the fact that one person has doubt does not give that doubt informative value. Nor does the doubt of many individuals add to that informative value. Or the doubt of dozens or the doubt of thousands of individuals Collective doubt has no more informative value about the substance of a question than does individual doubt. Truth is not determined by popular vote. Truth is that which corresponds to reality, and doubt about the truth does not affect the truth at all. It's both sad and funny that the nature of reality, science, and logic confirm that life could not have arisen from non-living matter unless there was an outside force that acted upon the matter. Or, as Darwin himself said, quote, some primordial form into which life was first breathed, unquote. Science tells us that physics plus chemistry does not equal biology. Only the information content present in DNA and other living machinery permits the transformation of physics plus chemistry into biology. That is an absolutely certain statement, and yet doubt about it abounds. Conversely, the general theory of evolution makes outlandish claims, such as inanimate molecules organize themselves one day and turned into a cellular structure containing 100 billion atoms. Claims like bacteria turned into biochemists, the bacteria having arisen from a prebiotic soup that covered the entire planet. But there is no evidence for the prebiotic soup, even in the oldest dated rocks. And there is no way that random mutations could have enabled genetic information to escalate in complexity so much that it would turn a DNA molecule that contains 500,000 base pairs into a human DNA molecule with its 3 billion base pairs. But you hardly ever hear anyone express doubts about a process that isn't just improbable, but scientifically impossible. But point out that the Bible provides a cogent explanation for everything that exists, and doubts drop out of the heavens like raindrops during a hurricane. Doubts dropping like raindrops. Your point is very well taken. You know, people have good, solid reasons based in fact, science, and evidence to believe in God and the Bible. But they seem oh so willing to embrace the doubts about whether God exists or whether the Bible is the Word of God, even when no one provides a basis for their doubt. And yet people will cling to discredited ideas about the universe popping into existence from nothing or living creatures arising spontaneously from pond scum, and they will scarcely ever express a doubt or raise reservation about them, despite the fact that those ideas, in many cases, are simply logically impossible, and certainly they conflict with the ordinary observations that we make about the world around us. People will accept without doubt these outlandish ideas, but they will doubt the solid, factual, scientific, evidentiary basis of God in the Bible. And that's what we're trying to help people understand in this episode. That's all we're trying to help them understand. There is no need to allow the doubts of others to impact them. Other people's doubts, we may be able to address them if they will give us a reason for their doubt, but their doubt is not informative 
and it's not evidence, and it should not impact our belief or our faith. And of course, the antidote to doubt, the antidote to people who have uncertainty, is information. Information is the antidote to the poison of doubt. And you know, it's high time for those of us who possess the accurate information about the truth of God, the truth of Genesis, the truth about the Bible being the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God. It's high time for us to be willing to convey that information and to defend the facts and the conclusions that arise irresistibly from that information. Because, you know, the stakes for us not being willing to equip ourselves and to stand for that truth, the stakes for not doing that, well, they are truly eternal. This sounds like a good time to go to God in prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer for those people who have eaten from the tree of doubt and allowed its bitter fruit to become part of their lives. Today, we're all praying for those who need a new spiritual life in Christ Jesus. A prayer for the spiritually lost. Wondrous and perfect Father, we exalt your name and sing praises to your glory. Your word is the foundation of joy and the bedrock of hope. In you, there is blessed assurance. Without you, the shifting sands of a sin-stained shore would wash away beneath us and we would be swept into the depths by the tides of trouble. With you, we cannot be moved or thrown down, though all the waves of chaos should pound against us with fervor and anger. Lord, too many have been swept away and we are grieved to see all about us people we know whose life foundations are crumbling. We see our neighbors being pushed to and fro by the currents of popular opinion and whose lives are filled with fear and despair because they have no sustaining source of truth. We come before you today to plead for their rescue and redemption. We ask that you sovereignly intercede in the lives of those who are lost and sinking and turn their hearts to you. As when the citizens of Nineveh heard Jonah's preaching and repented, please touch our land and community with your word and call our neighbors to you. Give us opportunities to witness that we would miss on our own. Strengthen our hearts to stand for Christ as he stood for us. The glory is his alone, so it is in his name we pray, give thanks, and ask for the lost to be saved. Amen. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also, or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where... We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S 
www.thebibleconversation.com. Thank you for your support. Are you hungry for truth? Most people are today. Between changing social standards, cultural chaos, and denominational deviance, confusion is sweeping over our community like a tsunami. Will we be swept away, or will we be anchored by truth? At Crystal Sea Books, our passion is the Bible. The Bible came from the mind of God. The words of God are powerful in truth and love. God will give us peace and strength as we honor His Word. At Crystal Sea Books, we believe the Bible can be a dynamic part of adventure stories, lyrical rhythms, and even humor, as well as inspire our prayers and meditations. That's why Crystal Sea Books is so pleased to offer Purposeful Prayers and the Anthology of Purposeful Prayers. Many people know that prayer is an essential component to a powerful Christian faith, but they feel uncertain when they begin a prayer commitment. I'm R.D. Fierro. Let my books, Purposeful Prayers, and the Anthology of Purposeful Prayers come alongside you to help you prepare to go before the throne of grace and find peace and power that comes from learning to pray purposefully. Getting a copy of Purposeful Prayers could not be easier. Just go to crystalcbooks.com and use the link. That's crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, C-S-E-A, books, B-O-O-K-S, dot com. In Purposeful Prayers and the Anthology of Purposeful Prayers, the Bible's timeless wisdom is captured in a devotional study of prayer and in prayers specially designed to build your faith as you focus on interceding for your family, friends, and nation. Get your own copy of Purposeful Prayers today. At Crystal Sea Books, we're not perfect, but our boss is.